our lives are filled with special moments, defining moments. You don't have to be a great student of history to know that that is true. I would guess that most of you, if not all of you, would remember what took place on December 7, 1941, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. You probably recall what happened on November 22, 1963, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And probably everyone would remember what happened on September 11, 2001, the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and others. We may not always remember dates, but we remember historic moments. We remember historic speeches. Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address on November the 19th, 1863. The opening line, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived of liberty and liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. And the closing statement, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. One of my favorite speeches from history is Winston Churchill's speech through the House of Commons on June 18, 1940, in the midst of World War II. He said, let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. This Wednesday is the anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And a week from tomorrow, our nation will observe a holiday in his honor. Most of us have read or heard his famous I Have a Dream speech from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on August 28, 1963. I have a dream, he said, that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. He said, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four little children will one day be, live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. It was a critical moment in the civil rights movement, but it's pretty clear that our nation still has a long way to go to deal with the deeply embedded and systemic racism that is a part of our nation. Each of these speeches 
represents the defining moment for a nation and a people. Today, we need to remember that every day has the potential to be a defining moment. Every day, God is at work in dynamic ways in our world. Jesus was born in poverty and in obscurity. We have very little information about his early life, other than the birth narratives that we recently read and a few glimpses of his childhood. We don't know very much about him as he was growing up. But at a defining moment, he moved to fulfill his mission of redemption. The third chapter of Matthew tells tells us how it began. Matthew's message of good news begins with the introduction of John the Baptizer. Now, he really wasn't a Baptist. You all know that, right? Shake your head, yes. Baptists come quite a bit later than John the Baptizer. But we claim him, right? We claim him. Matthew begins with John the baptizer and the launch of the ministry of Jesus. Defining moments change everything. They change everything. The one we have come to know as John the baptizer was a messenger, the scripture says. He came with a call for change. He was certainly a nonconformist and his Preaching and confrontational message kind of reminds us of the prophetic traditions of the Old Testament. His dress, that camel's hair clothes, and diet of locusts and honey. He was not just your average run-of-the-mill preacher. He lived a life of self-denial. He seemed to demonstrate a kind of contempt for the world, but in reality it wasn't the world, but... It was worldly lifestyles that were characterized by sin. The scripture says he came as one preparing the way. Preparing the way for the one who would come after him. And he called for repentance. A kind of getting ready for the Messiah. This repentance would involve a a renovation of a person's heart and a reformation of their life. A decision to live a new way. His life and message were a constant call for change. You all really like change, don't you? We don't like change even when we get to decide how we change. It's tough. It's hard. John was undoubtedly a man of power and influence. The scripture says that the whole Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem were going out to hear him. The crowds confessed their sins and they were baptized. His message and the baptismal sign that was a part of it was about repentance. But both his message and the baptism signal change. John's message was everything needs to change. 
everything needs to change. Isaac Newton's first law of motion is that everything continues in a state of rest until it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. That kind of fits us, doesn't it? We remain at rest until something is impressed upon us. Tolstoy said, everybody thinks of changing humanity. Nobody thinks of changing himself. We want change. We just want somebody else to do it. John's message was, everything needs to change. But John didn't just tell the people that they needed to change. He said, change is coming. Change is coming. John promised the people that someone was coming who was much more powerful than he was. He said, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. The one who is coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John tells the crowd, like it or not, change is coming. He emphasizes the preeminence and the power of the one who is coming after him. Now John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness was promised to those who would genuinely repent. But you know, baptism doesn't really, baptism or immersing in water, does not accomplish repentance or forgiveness. But it signals and affirms both when we genuinely repent. See, John's baptism meant an open confession of sin and a public decision to live a new life. When we follow the Lord in baptism, we acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge our need to repent. And we acknowledge our desire to live a new way live a new way. John said, not only does everything need to change, change is coming. Change is coming. There's a button in a tourist shop that said, to err is human. To forgive is out of the question. Right? Well, it's not out of the question with God. It's not out of question with God. Do you remember your baptism? I was not quite eight years old when the Holy Spirit of God touched the heart of a little boy who had to sit on the second row because Dad didn't trust me any farther back. And God spoke to me my heart and life. Someone defined becoming a Christian as, commi as committing everything you know about yourself to everything you know about God and letting it grow. I was just a boy. So much I didn't understand 
still is. But God cared about me. And when I let him in, everything changed. Everything changed. Just a little over a week, I'll have the opportunity to baptize some who desire to renew their baptismal vows in the River Jordan. And yes, the River Jordan is cold in January. Nobody has to be told to hold their breath. They're doing it from the moment they hit the water. The water will be cold, but the moments will be special. As people remember a a baptismal vow to live a new way. Jesus came to John to be baptized. It was his first public appearance after a long period of obscurity. We've jumped from the birth narratives and these brief glimpses of Jesus as a boy to his adult ministry. It seems strange that Jesus would come to John to be baptized. The Son of God. Pure, no need for repentance or baptism. But you know, in his baptism, Jesus identified with John. Jesus identified with John's ministry. And maybe in a real sense, he identified with everyone he came to save. Jesus signaled God with us in a brand new way. See, Jesus humbled himself to the suffering servant's role. He is Redeemer. He is Savior. In that defining moment, Jesus owned the Father's plan. And the Father owned him. The scripture tells us that Jesus saw the heavens open. And the Spirit of God descends upon him. And a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Do you know when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit of God comes, he changes everything. This was a decisive event in the life of Jesus. It was a defining moment. But it wasn't just a defining moment for Jesus. It was a defining moment for the whole world. It was a moment when we knew everything had changed. It was the dawn of a new day, a day of gospel, A day of good news. We've celebrated his coming. We've celebrated his coming and everything has changed because he came. Because he came. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, 
declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Maybe this is a defining moment for you. How would you respond to the one whose coming has changed everything? Charles Finney, Presbyterian minister and leader of the Second Great Awakening in the United States, describes a defining moment in his life. He wrote about it in this way. He said, as I shut the door of the office after me, it seemed as if I met the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. It seemed as if I met him and saw him as I would see any other man. He said nothing but looked at me in such a manner as to break me right down at his feet. I fell at his feet, wept aloud like a child, and made such confessions as I could with my choked utterance. It seemed to me that I bathed his feet in tears. I must have continued in this state for a good while. I returned to the front office, but as I turned and was about to take seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Without any recollection that I had ever heard the subject mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to come in waves of liquid love. It seemed like the very breath of God. I wept aloud with joy and love. When God comes, when he really comes to us, everything changes. Everything changes. It's a defining moment in our lives. Every time I sense the presence of God, his spirit, in my life, it's a defining moment. You see, we weren't just to read about the incarnation. We are to experience the incarnation when the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in our lives in a way we cannot explain or fully understand. And he begins the process of making of our lives what he intended them to be. The psalmist wrote, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Sandberg wrote, Time is the coin, coin of your life. It's the only coin you have. 
Only you can determine how it will be spent. Be careful, lest you let other people spend it for you. Moments. Moments with God. The British Cemetery, there's a grave with this, these words inscribed. Pause, my friend, as you walk by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. A visitor added these words. To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. Destiny is determined not by chances, but by choices. By choices. By the defining moments in our lives. Do you know why every Christian needs a quiet time with God every day? Because they are the defining moments of our lives. They are the moments that help us to live our lives. Emerson wrote, do not follow the, where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Go with God. When he comes, everything changes. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, how much we need your presence. How much we need your Holy Spirit to fall on us as you fell on Jesus at his baptism. That you might change us and that we might never be the same. Father, in this time of response, we pray that your spirit would have freedom, that we would understand what your spirit is urging us to do, and we'd be obedient. For we pray in Jesus' name.